I'm, I'm sure there are people that wait like hours and hours and hours and hours. But in the times I've ever been to A&E in my life, I've been three times. One was after a car crash. One where I thought I'd like my bollock had twisted to the point where it was going to fall off. And then today. <laughs> um, and you know which all... one we've got questions about, don't you? <laughs> the car crash, yeah. Um, and all three times, like I was seen maybe an hour's wait, absolute maximum. And the staff were always like, you could tell they were super busy, but they were always super friendly. And everyone was always super great. Mm. Thanks for asking. At least we got that little mission recorded. I mean, it can go on the front, not me, for a change. <laughs> <laughs> That's F- F- Matt's, Matt Guy's twisted bollock. The, uh... <laughs> well, speaking of the wrist tape, I thought my darts career was going to be over before it started. But thankfully, this is on my left hand, not my right I've played with my left before. I was equally as bad as my right. So. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid doing it, and I'd got it. I'd got the dartboard. I'd got it like low down beneath the window. So I threw a fucking dart, and it went through the window, didn't it? Oh my! There's this <laughs> hole in the window. And this is going back years and years. So like, I don't. It wasn't double glazed or anything. So yeah, mm-hmm. it was just fucked. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we um, we had one of them, the back door at, at the old house. Um, it had little window panes like, like that, like big fish, little fish size. And it was prime. Like if you hit it right in the middle, it just completely shattered. Um, <laughs> but because there was, that was the back door, there was like a step up to the, gar- up to the grass. So the goals were there. So it took some missing to actually hit the hit the door but it went through at least once a month but <laughs> <laughs> we ended up putting um, a mattress in front of it in the end so whenever we were playing football outside we just put this big mattress up against the door <laughs> just in case but then that mattress was then the one that I fell out of when I got um, roofied in the, in the legion in the, in the student union the ones you got roofied well, I, I, some some form of uh, some form of drugging took place, um, and got back, and I was completely out of it. Like, I had no concept of what was going on whatsoever. So I opened my bedroom window and jumped out. <laughs> Jesus, wept. but onto a mattress and then slept outside. You thought my bollocks were going to be on the front page? I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's keeping well in the world right now. Bonsoir, everybody. Mad Guy here, live and in colour. How are we all? Good and tag. I'm in black and white, apparently. So, hello. So, it's the first question cast of the year. I feel like a little bit, like I've got a bit of ring rust going on. I don't quite know what I'm supposed to be doing with it at the minute. You can get cream for that. Right, we'll dive straight into the news. Not a lot has been going on still, but we have managed to find a few stories worth discussing. Um, In a recent interview, Simon Pegg discussed the one character he would love to revisit one day. And that character is Gary King, of course, from the underrated The World's End. 
Peg has also stated that there have been discussions about another collaboration with Edgar Wright. There's been many talks over the years about a return to a new Cornetto trilogy, and it does seem like it's very early days, but we are going to be getting either an extension to what we've had or maybe even a fresh new trio of films. Thoughts on him playing Gary King? Is that the character that you would want him to go back to, or what do you think, Matt? I I think so because I think there was um there was an unusual amount of emotional depth in that character that we didn't have in um, Sergeant Angel or Sean, mm. um, and I think actually you can go one of two ways. I think you can you can do a more serious film if you wanted and look at his life as it falls apart before the beginning of the film, or you could actually do just a sci-fi romp, apocalypse romp. Um, in 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 the post events of the film, so mm. the sky's the limit, really. But I'd like to see like the emotional depth side of it, but that's probably not fitting with the Cornetto trilogy mantra, really. Yeah, I know what you mean. Stewie's Gary King's the one for you, or is there another character of his that you'd prefer? I prefer him to not bother at all, <laughs> leave it alone. <laughs> Just out. It, how long has it been now? It's. <laughs> It's got to be good, about 12 years, I think. Yeah, a good while. So mm. just do something new. Don't <laughs> don't, don't touch it. It was it, They worked because they were different, and mm, I'm sceptical with this one. Mm. I'm not saying high hopes because it, it's Simon Pegg, and he obviously he'll throw himself 100% into it, but mm, I don't know. I just don't, don't want things ruined, good things ruined. When there's no need. Yeah. If they are to do a new trilogy, what genre of film would you want them to go into? Obviously, we've had the zombie rom-com of Sean. Hot Fuzz was an 80s actioner, and we've had the out-there space sci-fi of The World's End. Where would you want them to go next? Anything in particular? Well, I would have said, like, Aliens, but we had Paul, didn't we, which wasn't quite the same but mm. we, we've been there with them too now with that it wouldn't it would almost feel like a spiritual successor even though it wasn't um time travel no no thank you um vampires maybe vampires kind of that kind of world may i'm not sure dinosaurs <laughs> <laughs> maybe something that hardly gets any any talk anywhere like um I don't know, a spiritual successor for uh, Sequest DSV. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a deep dive. No one ever does anything underwater, do they? I mean, no. obviously, because until Avatar. Um, but obviously, because it's massively expensive and awkward. But yeah, something underwater. I, I really like the idea that they just remake the lighthouse shot for shot. <laughs> <laughs> And that'd be really good. I'd quite like to see that. Uh, the film that keeps on giving, The Eternals, has finally finished its cinema run, taking in the second lowest domestic box office. It's taken in a $30 million haul. Which, <laughs> oh, sorry, no. $30 million more, sorry, than 2008's Incredible Hulk. Um, so it's still quite a low amount. It, overall, it made $165 million. But by way of comparison, Shang-Chi took in 224 stateside only, that is. Um, so, yeah, like the pandemic has hit them in the pocket. But it seems like poor reviews and a quick jump to Disney Plus really ate into their box office. 
I do think they would probably have got more just because it's a Marvel property. Um, internationally, though, it picked up over 400 million, which you would expect. And it beat the first Captain America and Black Widow. Needless to say, the Eternal sequel remains unconfirmed at the moment. Do you think this will have an impact on the future of the Eternals? Do you think that they may double down and try and forge ahead with the plans? Stu, you're the MCU nonce, so what what do you think? How how will this play out for that particular brand, do you think? Uh, Hopefully the whole thing gets cancelled and we don't have to talk about it ever again, but... (laughs) Uh, they left too many things dangling, didn't they? So it's mm. oh, that's silly. That silly nonsense at the end. Um, the stuff with Blade being mentioned as well, and I mean the Blade, the Blade film will have to mention this now as well. So unfortunately, I can't see how it'll how it would be cancelled. It might be changed, and fingers crossed. If they did do it, another one, it is massively changed and they kind of solved some of the massive issues I had with it that we've been over enough times. Mm. But at the same time, they've got an excuse not to not to carry on. They can blame COVID all they want and say, oh, yeah, well, well we didn't make our money back wherever. Not the fact that it was just shit. Um, look what Spider-Man took. <laughs> Literally mm. like four or five months later. No excuses. Same pandemic, exactly the same. So, from my point of view, hopefully we never have to see any more. What I think would happen, it'll come back and it'll be almost reinvented in the way that the Suicide Squad was to Suicide Squad. Yeah, good answer, I think. Matt, obviously, as Stu's alluded to, the post credit scene, so they touched on Blade Mm -hmm. and... Harry Styles' his character, whose name escapes me. Can they continue without the Eternals in the MCU? Can they just ignore it and forge a way ahead? No, I don't think they can. I think uh, I know Stu, the great, the, the greatest defender on earth of my, uh, the MCU, and the and and that world will argue all day long that they can retrofit things and it works or they could just do what they want at the last minute and more than Shane McMahon in the rumble. <laughs> however, however, um, I think there is a plan in place and I think a story needs to be told because they, because they have to get, they have to have a cycle that has a massive ending. So there has to be intertwining characters of all the different films coming together and everything else. So everything needs to be explored. What I think will happen with this is it'll end up being a, just a director Disney plus, event just get it out of the way get it done get it shot and filmed add to the elements of the story that they need to and then and then move on like Stu said mm, that's fair uh, in the dceu um jj abrams is apparently working on a new superman script i don't know if that's related to the hunk of a man that is henry cavill or if they're gonna robert pattinson it and go with a a new Superman away from the Snyderverse. I don't quite know yet. Um, Peacemaker has been a roaring success, according to HBO Max. Bossy saying it's their most watched thing to date. And a second season is all but greenlit. Um, but something which has been greenlit is a second spin-off from the Suicide Squad with James Gunn at the helm. Um, Stu, which Suicide character would you spin off solo? 
weasel. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would I would have said polka dot man, but obviously can't mm. can you? Um, so yeah, just more Idris Elba, just more of him in everything. We're gonna have more Luther soon, and um, to finish that off, so yeah. I still haven't caught up on the last season of Luther. Everyone said it was shit, so I just never bothered watching the last one. It wasn't great. Mm. It, compared to the other ones, nowhere near. Um, but again, it's still Idris Elba on TV, which is always good. Mm, yeah, that is fair. Matt, who would you uh, give a solo show to? Well, Bloodsport was my answer, and, and letting it be his, um, letting it be his working audition for his eventual bonding. Because the world won't rest until Idris Elba is James Bond, according to Twitter. So it can be his, it can be his audition for it. There has been rumours apparently that he's in talks to be Bond, but I assume it's still really, really early days, and no one quite knows. But I think that would be more of my choice—something completely left field to what's what we've already seen. But that's Bond. In regards to Suicide Squad, I'd quite like to see a little bit more of Ratcatcher and her dad, Taika Waititi. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe go prequel and have some of her childhood growing up and how all that played out. I think it'd be quite an interesting one. And she's become quite a, a fan favourite herself as well, um, Daniela Melchoir, I think it is. So I'd be all up for that one. Uh, the family is getting bigger again. Everyone's second favourite Polynesian actor, Jason Momoa, joins the Fast and Furious 10. With everyone's number one favourite Polynesian actor, The Rock, having turned it down, is Jason Momoa the right man to replace The Rock? Matt, if you've got a rock-shaped hole in your film, <laughs> but he turns you down, are you going to Momoa next, do you think? I, I think like the natural order of succession is, but I think Momoa is starting to... His popularity is starting to wane a little bit now, I think, after, you know, Aquaman isn't as well-received as I think people expected it to be or wanted it to be. Um, His appearance in June was overshadowed by its sheer magnitude of self-righteousness and self-importance was what that movie was. I don't don't think he's the hot property that he once was anymore. I think he's Mm. just slightly on the decline. Um, and so I'm not sure if it's as big of a thing having Jason Momoa in it as it would have been The Rock. I don't think it's anywhere near as impactful. Um, it kind of seems like uh, you've got your main course, you've got your, you know, your madras in front of you. You want to have a few sides? That's absolutely fine, but it's not. Mm. It's not. You know, it's not the same thing, is it? No. And Stu, I suppose the difficulty is. It's impossible to replace The Rock, isn't it? He's he's so far larger than life than virtually everybody else in the whole world that <laughs> it's, it's a real, like, I mean, both literally and figuratively, to fill his shoes is nigh on impossible. Yeah, it's the... It's not just for the for the, the big the big guy, because you'd go Batista, wouldn't you? Um, it's the, the kind of... It is the little winks and the um, the comedy elements as well that Jason Momoa doesn't seem to have yet, but maybe never. <laughs> so the, there is 
there probably isn't no one like him. I mean, you, you could put it the other way and just get his mini rock and, and Kevin Hart um, <laughs> yeah. and, and do that. But no, it, I think that they have to do something and it's a bit left field that we've never had really had anyone with who looks like that in the fast films. Like from a hair point of view, especially. <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, I, just listen, listen back to the disappointment episode from a few weeks ago and how the kind of deflation factor from Fast 9 and how to, where mm-hmm. do we go from here? Bringing someone like Jason Momoa in to revitalise it for the last two films. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it does work because you're not repra- replacing Rock with like for like. Maybe you're going in a different direction. Maybe that will work. But... Mm. I can't yeah. think off the off the top of my head. There's no one out. It'll be Batista or Jason Momoa. <laughs> yeah, I, I sort of agree. You want someone charismatic if it's for for that sort of role, and and they both do have a lot of charisma. So it's either or really. But I suppose we have got our wrestling former wrestler quota filled with John Cena if he's returning. So Momoa is the next best for me, to be perfectly honest. Do you think it's uh, um, two franchises and two cultures that go hand in hand? Because on paper, I don't think that Fast and Furious and wrestling are really a, that great a match. Roman Reigns is in the, in the spin-off. <laughs> I know, but I just don't see it. Like I, When I think of Fast and Furious, don't get, take this in the nicest way possible, I think Chavi, I think, you, you know what I mean? In I, what? To start with, it was. But then when I, and when I think of wrestling... Fan base, I think of neckbeards and social anxiety, and the two don't the two don't really go hand in hand. Or is the Fast and Furious want is what neckbeards want to be? I don't know. I don't it's what know. everyone wants to be. So. Yeah. From from five onwards, it's for everyone. I do. I know I need to watch them from, but like, can I just watch the cool ones? Do I have to yeah. watch the old ones? Uh, no, I would watch the old ones just because they're really funny to laugh at. They're not good films, and they don't really... Even the one where Han dies, which... Spoiler, but it's not that important. Even when Han dies, it doesn't really matter when it goes back to three. Like, it's... yeah, It, it doesn't matter that much, to be honest. Watch If you watch Tokyo Drift in chronological order, it makes a lot more sense. It does, but then you've got to watch Tokyo Drift, which I would say, don't it's not, do that. It's not as bad as you remember. <laughs> okay. We'll see. But no, you don't, have to, <laughs> you don't have to watch them. Like, I'd, I'd probably say watch one and then just jump to when The Rock comes into it, to be perfectly honest. Because the one's just funny to watch the context of a group of people who would sell knockoff DVD TV combis out the back of a truck. They go from that to hoisting um, cars off the road with a plane picking them up. Mm. Like, the juxtaposition of the two is bonkers. <laughs> but it, it's funny to see, but you don't need to have seen it. Okay. I'll add it to my list with Hamilton. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, the last bit of news I've got, this one's probably more map-based than the rest of them. It's Matrix news. Or actually, it's Matrix no news ever again. Allegedly. Uh, James McTeague, who is the assistant director and long-term collaborator of the Wachowskis, has said 
They have no plans for any prequels, sequels, requels, or any other kind of quote. Basically, they're done with The Matrix. Are you happy with this? Do you want more? I mean, I would quite happy to have less and just go back to that first perfect film. But, Matt, how do you feel about that? Having time to ponder on this, um, I'd say that's probably the best outcome. And, I, and I'm going to say this because the first one and the latest one, I enjoy so much that I don't want to see a repeat of two and three mm. happen with what I what I now think is an almost perfect film in, in, in Resurrection. So I don't want that world to be sullied anymore. And But it's a shame because on paper, much like the first one, on paper you think, Fat man, we've got like a we've got a whole world to explore now. This there's so many potential opportunities, but then they shit the bed with it. And I just don't want that to happen with four going into five and six. I'm I'm happy if 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 that becomes it now. Like I you know, let's you know, don't be sad that it ended, just be happy that it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Stu, obviously that's coming from the Wachowskis collaborator and we believe from the Wachowskis as well. But the WB may have different ideas. Do you think the WB will be happy never returning to the Matrix universe? Depends who owns it, really. If they own it or the Wachowskis have ultimate say in what happens, like the like how Back to the Future is never going to get touched until they all die <laughs> because they've got ownership over it. So... In a way, yeah, it's the right thing to do because we all know from what from how that fin how the last one finished, mm. that could go on for another five five films. But at this point, it will be just it was clever how they retreaded everything anyway. Yeah, if you do any more, you're just going to be repeating what's already happened. So how things wrapped up made perfect sense and if that's all we ever have then that's perfectly fine excellent so that's the news done matt have we had any listener questions in we sure have um we've had uh, quite the haul so let's go through them at uh, top speed um do not blaspheme the neemon what a great uh, matt cunnington <laughs> do you have a go-to soundtrack if so what is it presumably film soundtrack what's your go-to and currently at the minute, I'm I've got Encanto and the Peacemaker soundtrack on the go. That's quite a, a eclectic mix yeah, of the two. Yeah, it's the two extremes, but they're, they're my two go tos at the moment. Sure. At the moment, Peacemaker. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I even had to ask Tarek just to confirm if it is actually just classed as hair metal because it kind of is it. That's, mm. Um. Over time, I'll probably say, I mean, last year it was just Hamilton all year long, obviously. Um, but the one I've probably listened to most of any soundtrack ever is a toss-up between The Full Monty and um, Kevin and Perry Go Large. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Again, contrasting. Yeah. Nice You've got to have a few in there, though, Matt. Yeah, I mean, I, I own the majority of my favourites on vinyl, being the hipster that I am. Um, Train Spotting is up there for me. The Forrest Gump soundtrack is a perfect encapsulation of Americana. Um, it's a you know, it's a good soundtrack. The Rocky soundtrack, to be fair, um, with yeah, all I was of thinking the, that one with all of the um, 
you know, third party songs that they have on there as well. Um, do, if you can count Spinal Tap, like this is Spinal Tap, the album, mm-hmm. because it's an album, it is a soundtrack, but it's not in a in a weird way. Um, but I'd probably I'd probably go with Train Spotting as my absolute favourite. That's the one that goes on repeat the most in 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 my household. Uh, Todd wants to know, excluding anything the Great One has done, what is the best movie that has a wrestler in the leading role? Hmm. See, I would have gone with Guardians of the Galaxy because I, I do really enjoy that, but you can't really say that Batista is the lead role, can you, in that one? No, you can't. Um, Probably They Live. I was going to say Randy They Live. Roddy. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say They Live, to be fair. Jumanji? No, excluding, the excluding The Rock. So there's a wrestling uh, terminology oh, there for you, Stu. Um, Mr. Nanny. <laughs> Let's leave that bad fart hang in the air. Um, <laughs> uh, Stu, one for you directly. What's the most ridiculous thing Stu has ever worn and was it for a bet? Um, well... I, I can answer both of them. I mean, the most ridiculous thing I've ever worn was probably that when me and Goldie went to the Leeds game dressed as an angel and a Christmas tree, and it, it was <laughs> mom. Mom made the uh, made the costumes as they did every Christmas, um, but it was her wedding dress that she altered. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, she um, she put a panel in the back, obviously because. Me being six foot tall and her being five four or whatever she's um, wouldn't fit, so she put the panel in and then sewed the little wings on. Um, so and white tights and everything. So no, that but that but again that was a costume. So it was it was fancy dress. It was bringing joy to people, as was the the me wearing all gold at Christmas time um, with the gold trousers. So. <laughs> There's probably more than more than you can say. I mean, when my face wearing when I used to wear a scarf like Russell Branded to the pub, <laughs> oh, that's, <wow. laughs> maybe that's it. But there's probably too many to count. It's not the scarf that was the problem with that picture, Stu. It's the hair going with the scarf. <laughs> you know, like Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen for crying out loud. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But the... when we went out, we went out the one night, Matt. I think it was before we knew you, and we went to Bohemian. So obviously you don't, you don't have to be like proper dressy. No. But you've got to be acceptable. Shirt and shoes is fine. That's it. You know. But even if you rock up in like a pair of cons, you're okay with cons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you're not okay with is the pair of the loudest fluorescent yellow trainers you have ever seen. <laughs> so everyone else got in apart from Dickhead over there. Like you a had to go to yeah, like went to the Posada. Yeah, Terrible. with who? They were, they, no, they weren't yellow. They were lime green Elise, actually. Elise classics. <laughs> they were wow. shocking. Uh, David Evans um, wants to know, thanks to streaming services, are we seeing a golden age in coming-of-age movies? Could the array of such movies now available have helped a lot of teenagers and kids be happy with who they are and the roller coaster ride of growing up? That's an excellent question. It is an excellent question. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of Big Mouth. I don't know if either of you two have watched mm-hmm. that. Uh, obviously, it's an animated series about the trials and tribulations of being a pre-teen, early teen kid. And I think that if they'd, saw, if they'd made that accessible to 
people of that age, it would be the perfect show. Whereas they've kind of pitched it maybe a little bit too old. There's a too few few too many fucks and cunts in there for it to be accessible for those kids. But the messages behind the stories there that it's okay to not be okay. Basically, a lot of the stories are, I think, are wonderful. And then you get films like Moxie that has come out, and there was one um, mixtape, I think it was called, that was at the tail end of last year, which is just sort of helping kids accept who they are and that you don't have to be like everybody. And I don't know why it seems to be that streaming has picked up on these movies, but we do seem to be, as Dave said, in a bit of a golden age of these kind of movies, and it's really Mm. good to see. And I do like a a nice, heartwarming coming-of-age film for some reason. But, yeah, we've had quite a few decent ones lately. Not just movies either. I mean, things like Queer Eye. Queer Mm. Eye is... Compared to the old version of Queer Eye which was just taking the piss out of rednecks all the time. The new one, in season 16, I'll, I'll mention it. I'm not, I was going to mention it later on what you're watching, but I'll watch the episode with and the new season um, where they, they make over um, a trans woman and she's been estranged from her dad because Mexican, Mexican family, Mexican culture, obviously, it's not the done thing. Mm. Um, and when they're, they're kind of... So I thought they're not going to talk to him, and he's they talk to him on camera and everything. And he's like, "Well, this, this is going to end in a reunion." And I, I blubbed. It was really proper, fucking emotional. And you think this would never, ever in a million years be shown on anything else other than Netflix? Never. They wouldn't put this on BBC One on a Saturday night. Hmm. So giving it a platform and not putting time on it, I think that's the, that's the key there. Not having a watershed is the big big deal. Because what are you going to, if you, you're getting back from, say, if we're appealing to the kids, if you're getting back from a school or college or whatever, and you whack someone on, 20 years ago, you had no choice. Unless you'd recorded it. Now, you've got all the choice in the world. Mm. So, mm. I think that, that's got a, a, a major part of it. Excellent, thank you. TK wants to know, uh, why is everybody on the Don't Talk About Bruno when Surface Pressure is the best song from Encanto? Andy Gillard, you're very passionate about this. Tell tell us why um, it's not the one that we should be talking about. TK is 100% accurate. Don't Talk About Bruno is a good song that has got... It's very catchy, and I can see a lot of people sort of vibing with that sound. But Surface Pressure is a much, much deeper song, ironically. It's actually about... Um, the, the character who sings that song is... She's got this superpower that she can carry anything. She's the strongest human being in the world. But underneath it all, she's terrified that she might not be strong enough to hold everyone else's problems as well as her her own. I think it speaks to a lot more than just this sort of playful song about Bruno. But Bruno, is it's got the catchy chorus, which makes all the difference. Mm. But I do believe that Surface Pressure has now become the most played, downloaded, streamed song in Disney history, overtaking Frozen's Let It Go. Wow. Yeah. So it, it's something special. Mm. That is interesting, that, to be fair. I mean, it's one for, not necessarily hot take question, but one that I might explore a little further down the line in one of our more serious questions. But should Disney films convey... Serious messages is one thing I want to talk about one day because, Christ, I was reading a Twitter exchange the other day and people were going hell for leather at each other 
basically talking about metaphors, this and subcontext that and everything else. And that's fine for the adults that are watching it, but are the kids that are who just want to see flashy colours, are they getting all of that? I don't know. One to talk about another time, maybe. I mean, just to, sorry, to check, to explore that just a little bit more, going back to this song Surface Pressure. The character who has it, um, I think it's Louisa, is the character's yeah, name. Yeah, I think so. She's a very masculine-looking mm, female. She is. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the conversation prior to the movie was, is this going to be a, a joke about a man in a dress? Or is it going to be a joke about women can be men and and like there's like the whole gender uh, politics going on there that I, I don't want to get into. But Louisa has become the I think one of the best selling Funko Pop figures. Like the kids have gone mad for her. Mm. They've really taken to the message behind that character. So I do think there is an element of the kids like the metaphors and yeah. even though they may not quite understand the deeper meaning. I think that they recognise there is something there. Well, we've moved on massively in that. I mean, I, could, I think about the, the original Shrek and how we had the women in that were shaving, mm. like shaving their beards and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, just like, you know, bearded ladies kind of thing. But yeah, we know we have moved on and maybe, maybe, maybe I just under underestimate what kids yeah. under understand these days. <laughs> yeah. They're, um, <laughs> your average 10 year old now is the equivalent of what we were at 15 easily. Christ, I hope not. Um, <laughs> Andrew Wright wants to know: Is there a uh, is there a film which you guys think is absolutely terrible but has a fantastic poster? I say, which like I know this is a bit of a controversial take, but June, I, I hated that film, but that poster was really nice with mm-hmm. the sky blue, the floating heads, and then you've got the light of the sand. You generally don't see that colour scheme in a post. That's usually a well, what looks like an eighties metal band and sort of t shirts is on a lot of those kind of posters. But I thought yeah. the June one looked really smart. They did a really good job of marketing that film. Like mm. it was on billboards everywhere and it was like everywhere you went, the buzz for it, you know, was incredible prior to it. And that yeah. was, you know, you know, fair play, fair fucks to the marketing department for that. Stu, anything that you can think of off the top of your head? Last Jedi. Last Jedi is a great film. <laughs> <laughs> no, Christ, here we go again. Here we go again. Thank you, everybody, for your questions. Uh, really appreciate it, as always. Get them in, and we will answer them. Super. Thank you very much. Onto the hot take corner. This is one I thought of a while back when images first broke of Jared Leto in the House of Gucci and Colin Farrell in The Batman. What do we think about actors wearing fat suits in movies? Like, I hope this doesn't come across sounding insulting or, or belittling or, or joking about a very difficult situation when it comes to like a, a lack of representation on screen, especially for people of, of colour or people who aren't straight. Um, but should there be roles for people who aren't stick-thin models in everything? Like, should we be looking at someone like uh, Melissa McCarthy? It's very rare that she is the lead in a a film that isn't either a drama or a comedy and when she's in a comedy she's always this frumpy fat best friend sort of thing should there be more representation for other body shapes in hollywood do we think Stu, maths what do you think i i I think there should be but it's in the same you know art imitates life doesn't it and one argument against, I'm not necessarily entertaining is my argument, but one argument against will be, 
well, you want um, you want the suspension suspension of disbelief, and you want to be able to see your action heroes look incredible and not like ourselves, and 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 look to be these Adonises that um, you know sensationalise everything. And unfortunately, some body types aren't going to give you that image. It's just as simple as that. However, on the flip side to that, culturally, when you know, I think when we think of to be as completely crude about it, when we think of a fat person, we think of it in a comedic sense, don't we? And that's like, it's, it, and it's really hard to get away from that. Um, you know, it's, they're often the one that's bullied or they're often the, the side, the side, not side piece, but you know, they're, the, they're the, um, the sidekick or, um, you know, they're the, they're the fall guy or something like that. It's really hard to get away from that. But, um, I don't know how you change that as a culture. Like, how do you do it? Do, where do you even begin? Yeah, I think it does. You you do have to take it with the context of each film as well. Like you ain't gonna get me. Me and Jason Statham obviously looking what we do. <laughs> These you can kind of understand being action heroes makes sense, but you ain't gonna get John Candy like drop kicking people. It, it it's just. To, it just doesn't make it. It just doesn't work, does it? So, but you can't be if you if you've got a choice of putting someone in a fat suit or giving an actual fat person the role, then just give it to the fat person. That's a, that that doesn't make any sense. It's like well, it's like it's it's effectively just blacking someone up. That's what that's what you're doing in effect. You you you've got someone of an actual size and shape that you want to portray. Go and cast someone who is that, rather than make someone like Jared Leto. I haven't seen that film, so yet I don't know. So, um, building bulking someone up just for the sake of it when you could employ someone else—that's hundred percent agree with that. But you, I don't think you can change everything around just to include people either, because if you do, then the whole suspension of disbelief—it's like, well, that wouldn't happen, kind of thing. So it's a, a bit of one, like fifty-fifty for me. Mm. It's, it's a difficult line to tread, because you do want to see people who look like you on screen, and, and let's be honest. Until Jason Statham and The Rock, it's very rare that you see a bald gentleman as the the handsome dude front and center on a film. But that is slowly starting to change. So maybe that's how you do it. It's small steps that mm. you need to take where you give people a legitimate role. And like, you don't have to have a, a fat person playing Superman. Like that, that isn't who it is. But there's no harm in having a fat person play the love interest in a movie to legitimise that not everybody looks the same. Not everyone is an Adonis. But it's just about, as you say, that small step and just starting the ball rolling. I think. Well, Syriana. I, I think that's going to be. I, I hope that will be a culture change because how often do you see? a leading man um, who's a little person other than Peter Dinklage. Like it doesn't happen, does it? So hopefully I do hope that that could start something, start a conversation. I mean, going back to the rock film skyscraper where he played someone who had lost a limb. Like I kind of hope that we get to see a bit more opportunities for people who are, you know, disabled people. Yeah, it started out with someone who has got all four limbs, but he's still representing and hopefully 
just seeing that as normal might hopefully help. I, I don't know. Saying that, remember the um, the start, the first episode of Doctor Who Flux, when um, there was a woman there without an arm, and it was never mentioned, was it? Mm-hmm. In the, the librarian, or it worked in the the building where John Bishop worked, or whatever yeah, it was. The, the love interest, yeah, yeah. It was she was disabled, but it didn't matter. It, it was never even mentioned. She was just cast. Mm-hmm. That worked perfectly. Yeah, it's like you don't. The fact that she didn't have, I believe it was um, from the wrist down, wasn't it? So she yeah. didn't have a hand. Like the fact that she didn't have that didn't play into it. She didn't need to grab onto a door, but she couldn't. She was just a human being who happened to be disabled. Her disability didn't define her, and that's such a great way. That's a really good example of that issue. And I know that's gone a little bit from where we started, but I do think representation matters in general. Uh, so the arty farty question, just to have a bit of levity. Stu, it's your week. <laughs> and it's not really levity, is it? Um, <laughs> where do we... Where do celebrities get off telling us what to do? Basically, <laughs> this is what it's all about. The whole Joe Rogan thing, freedom of speech, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, for me, he's on Spotify. He's lets people have their, their opinions on that show, so the podcast. I listen to it, so I don't listen to it every day or every week. I listen to ones that interest me. And for the most part, yeah, he is opinionated, of course he is, but he doesn't pretend to be the, the be-all and end-all and lets the guests on there get the view across. But that's that's what it is. It's a podcast about opinions. So for, for people who, some of who, like there was comedians who've, who've pulled the things off Spotify today again in protest, who I'd never heard of in a million years, <laughs> saying, oh, I'm, I'm withdrawing my material as well. Think, well, why? Uh, for one, who are you? Don't care. <laughs> and two, you're just jumping on the bandwagon here, trying to tell people w- what they should be doing. If you want to be vaxxed, be vaxxed. If you don't want it, don't. Who cares? But why do they think that they can force their opinions on people? Matthew? I think there's an element of because people people turn, people, me included, turn to celebrity so much more now for all of their content, not just for what they are famous for anymore. So everyone's got a podcast, everyone's got a TV show, everyone's got a blue tick Twitter account. And, you know, for people, again, myself included, Twitter, for example, is probably the only place I get my news. Like, I don't watch the news, I don't listen to the news. My news becomes part of the people that I follow's opinions, and then I might read a little bit more about it. So I think celebrity has now become this thing where they are now not only... um, uh, creators of content, i.e. films, music, TV, books, what have you. But now they're also the deliverers of content as well. People people look to celebrity for more than they ever have before. And some use it as a force for good and some quite clearly use it as a force for bad. And some of people are very, very pious about it. I mean, you know, right or wrong, you know, Gary Lineker, for example, he <laughs> has an opinion on fucking everything and majority of it I agree with, some I don't, but you know, he comes off as very self-righteous about it when he does. And so I just think, you know, celebrities have a lot more clout than they did 10, 20, 15, you know, 15 years ago now. Yeah, I think that that 
touching on Twitter, I think is a, a very important point that you feel some sort of kinship with someone you follow on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You see them tweeting, oh, I'm like them. So when you hear their opinion, it sort of, it's almost like a mate is telling you what you th- they think. And you generally, you respect your friends. So I think that that element of closeness that has been engendered to celebrity over the last decade or so, I think that that has been promoted through Twitter. So I do think it matters. Um, in regards specifically to the Joe Rogan thing that is currently unfolding still, the danger is with someone like Joe Rogan is him platforming people with abhorrent views. And the whole vaxxed thing, it's unscientific, basically what they're trying to promote. And he hasn't really been promoting the other side of it. It's very much been, you know what all the scientists are saying, but here are a few dipshits we've picked up off the street <laughs> who say that it shouldn't be, it should be this, it should be that. It's the reptiles. It's I, you know, <laughs> it's that kind of thing. And he gives a voice to right-wing nut jobs, And it's not, there's no balance to it. Like he seems to think that balance is, so for example, a balanced argument to Joe Rogan would be a racist person and a non-racist person arguing. Whereas in reality, I would hope like 99% of the world is non-racist and one person might be a racist. So the argument for a balance would be 99 people arguing that racism is awful and one person trying to argue his bullshit point. That's what actual balance is. Presenting it as a one-to-one argument is not balance. And that is what Joe Rogan's trying to do. I do have other issues with Spotify. Like, I don't understand how he gets 100 million contracts. And yet it takes someone 400 plays of a single for them to earn a dollar. Like, there's other issues besides that with Spotify. But that's something for another podcast, I think. But I do think that that, that's where my issues surrounding celeb culture arise. Did you ever watch Central Weekend? No, I don't think I have. Oh, it used to be a thing on. It was presented by Nicky Campbell on a Friday night on um, on ITV, round about half ten, and it, it was literally it was literally a debate show for lunatics. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it, so you, you get home from the pub or whatever you were doing when you know, it was years and years ago. It's probably YouTube examples of it. Central Weekend Live, it was called. And it was just mentalists. And that's kind of like what Joe, what Joe Rogan is. So you get all the, these people with different views to the, the rest of the to normal people. But on there, I mean, being the 90s, they were all laughed at all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of my mates actually went on, Pity went on there once, uh, when uh, Kilroy was on it. <laughs> but yeah, it was... Um, well, that was Kil- he went to Kilroy's show as well, but it's it's just another version of that which we don't get on telly anymore, do we? It's all mm. on podcast now rather than on TV. So, but yeah, but you're talking about Twitter. Both of you hardly agree with that. Hardly anything I say on there. <laughs> There's a reason for that, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I, I follow a lot of people who I don't agree with as well. Mm-hmm. That's why. I, just to, to get the other side of things, like, I don't agree with them, obviously. Um, but it's nice to hear the other side. That's that's. I know a lot of people don't do that though, and that's kind of part of the problem most of the time, where you only follow people who you agree with, mm-hmm. and then 
you go blotting on about the same things all the time. But maybe just maybe an argumentative by nature <laughs> doing this kind of thing. Even off of Twitter, though, I think I think a big problem in society is twenty four hour rolling news because it has created this cycle of bullshit. Because twenty four hour rolling news isn't really news; it's opinions that has been put out there. And it's mostly either right-wing or left-wing, and it just creates this vortex of bullshit. It doesn't give you any balance to what's going on. It just gives you one very specific viewpoint. And we've seen this, especially in America, with the rise of Fox News over the last 15, 20 years or so, where it's just engendered this absolute fucking crazy mentality that's going on in the world. And it's just added to this tribalism. And I think celebrities play into that tribalism. Like you very much, you end up picking a side. Like I mean, when Kanye and Kim Kardashian get divorced, like I'm sure people will be Team Kanye, and Team Kim, because <laughs> that's what we do now. Because mm. everything's been done to try and separate people and put you into a into a specific team, and I think that all plays into it. Right, that's enough of that. <laughs> what have you been watching lately, Stu? Fox News. Um... <laughs> I went to what I finished um, Yellow Jackets, which finding out now after I watched it all that they've got a plan for five years, but they might not last five years. That they'll tell as many series as is necessary, so it could be three, it could be four, it could be five. Um, cool. It ended superbly, and it's almost like a spiritual successor to Lost. We haven't had anything like this since Lost finished where as well as like I mentioned a couple last week or the week before how you got the, the 90s storyline and you got the now storyline there's also crazy like spiritual mystic shit going on as well which is almost it, it's explained in the progression of the 10 episodes but you can see where they're going to move it on from and at the same time there's a lot of things left open now for you can see this going for another couple of years, and I, I loved it. I mean, complete out of the blue, completely shocked how much I enjoyed it. I was watching, I ended up just watching one per day because I, I started. Well, I thought well, I'll do, I'll do two, and then I'll do two, and then that was it. Then I thought I can't do this; it's going to finish too soon. So I watched one per day, um, and now I'm going to wait till November for more. So that was that. Highly recommend Yellow Jackets wherever you find it. I don't know if it's out legally here yet, but if not, do you think? Um, the other one I watched, which again has been out in America for a bit, Last Looks, or with um, again that that blank look of complete horror, starring Charlie Hunnam, Mel Gibson. And um, Clancy Brown, and it's one Mel Gibson as a as an English thespian, <laughs> Charlie on, on him with an American accent, and it's kind of it's a, it's almost like a Lethal Weapon vibe ish. It's like it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it's, it's very much a film out of time. But it was it was enjoyable enough for two two hours. I'd, well, just under two hours. I'd, I'd give it a watch if it, if I then think and then people tickle your fancy. It's basically he's been he's 
Mel Gibson's character is suspected of murdering his wife. Charlie Hunnam's is a disgraced alcoholic um, bum of an ex-police detective who's gone off-grid and he's brought back in to defend him. And it doesn't sound great, (laughs) (laughs) but it's all right. And what also doesn't sound great is Moonfall, which I watched last night, Um, which (laughs) my initial excitement over watching these films, it's very bland. It's very meh. It's almost like a... I think because I did watch Don't Look Up and just, be, well, a month ago, watching another one of these, it's almost like Armageddon and Deep Impact again where you have them mm. both at the same time, <laughs> although this is not played for laughs like that was. It was very, very paint by numbers of uh, this. There's a divorced, ca- divorced couple. Oh, they've got a kid. Where's What's going to happen next? Oh, no. Mm. The the human story, as per usual, is shit. Um, but as soon as I saw the start come up and it said Tencent, I thought, "Oh no, here we go." So there's going to be some Chinese stuff in this. It's going to be it's going to be forced. There's going to be a bit of Mandarin, and of course mm. there is all of these things. And we could say that for a different a different week a different week's <laughs> question, but it goes places where it redeems itself. It redeems itself up to about a six. Um, but again, it, it's silly nonsense fun for two hours. But I couldn't say... If you if you enjoy disaster films, you'll probably like it. If you don't, do not even try. Just looking on Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter has gone up since we looked earlier, Stu. Um, after 36 reviews, it is sat on 44% now. So very middling. Which is pretty much what I said last night. Yeah, you did, yeah. Uh, Matt, what have you been watching? So I made the gross error of watching the 2022 Royal Rumble. Um, <laughs> I know I what, was right there with you. And what I mean by gross <laughs> error is I thought it started at midnight. I was in the pub at 7pm. <laughs> I thought it started at midnight, meaning I'd be back home by approximately quarter past to half past four. When I got there and the BT, they turned from Sky Sports News over to BT Sport. I thought, oh, fuck, we're going to get the pre-show. This is about like 10 o'clock. And then it come up, event, uh, you know, by now, 1 a.m. And I was like, no, no, please, God, no. I've spent so much money already. And like, <laughs> it's, it's, so I didn't get home till half past five in the morning. <laughs> and I was so drunk. And I was just, I was just a mess. Thankfully, though, I had the foresight to take the ring doorbell off to charge um, before I left, so I couldn't, or Sam couldn't, rewatch the footage of me stumbling in um, <laughs> at half past five in the morning. Um, I'm nearly at the end of series three of The Crown, so we're now Olivia Coleman is now the queen and has been um, for this series so far. And it's really took a turn. The Queen is now really horrible to everybody. <laughs> um, and there's a lot more about um, kind of Prince Charles and, um, and Anne. Um, the sweaty nonce hasn't made an appearance yet. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it, it, you could definitely tell the feel of it has now gone more sensationalistic and, and has gone a bit more... Um, 
heat magazine, I suppose you could say. Uh, it's gone a little bit more kind of, you know, for entertainment than actual historical reference, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Um, and because series three of Afterlife has dropped, I'm now just watching Afterlife again. So I'm in series two, episode two, as of recording. Um, yeah, that that show, man, it it just knows how to kick you in the knackers when you when you you feel all right, and then wang bang, there's another one. Yeah, I, I, against popular opinion, I think I I really did like season three. But and that, and that, now he's come out and said no more, which is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. It was all right. I like, I enjoyed it for the most. It's a little bit too mawkish, which I do find for Ricky Gervais. Like yeah. Derek was a bit too mawkish. It does play on the over sentimentality at points. Yeah. Like, but I think that's just Ricky Gervais's nature. I prefer his work generally with Stephen Merchant. I think they bring the best out in each other, if I'm being mm. honest. Yeah. Uh, so I have watched a film called Deadly Cuts on Netflix, <laughs> which is a really low-budget Irish indie film about a hairdresser who kills this local wannabe gangster, and then they go to some like hair competition. It's really fucking silly, but really funny. Properly enjoyed it. I don't know. I just kind of love Irish indie films. And this is cracking. Uh, today, I went to see a film called Amulet, which is like there's proper her- um, hereditary vibes in there. It's so weird and slow paced and odd. And it's a guy who is a homeless man. And you get flashbacks to when he was um, an army, uh, sorry, a soldier in an army guarding a border between two countries. Um, and you find out what he did whilst he was guarding this border, interspliced with what's going on in his life now. He ends up, he's homeless. He ends up having to live with this woman to help her look after her mom, who is chained up in the attic because she's so ill that she will try and kill herself. But it turns out she's actually possessed by a demon. And it's just like everything sort of works out as you expect. It's really creepy. It's really yeah. unnerving. Um, and then the end just goes completely left field. Even compared to where you think you're going. It's almost like you've gone down a horror story just to find out it's an alien story. Like it's that kind of weird left turn. And some people will love that and some people will hate it. But I really enjoyed myself with it. I thought it was a, a cracking film. Are we talking 10 Cloverfield Lane territory? Um, probably not quite that tense. Hmm. I think it's got more elements of the, the, the British indie film where it's a lot slower, a lot more employed. Yeah, I, so I meant like the like the ending to 10 Cloverfield Lane out of nowhere. Oh, sorry, yes. Yeah, Um, even more so. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm Even game. more so. I'm yeah. game. <laughs> yeah. And I have uh, righted a few wrongs. So I have watched Zootropolis last weekend. Yes. What a fucking wonderful film that was. It is great. Absolutely I, I, I'm, I'm quite pleased with that. Yeah, and I also watched Big Hero 6 as well. And again, like I remember seeing the trailers thinking that will just be a fine 6 out of 10 Pixar. And there's a lot more depth to it than I imagined going in like talking about loss and all these things that I did not expect to be crying halfway through this film. It was really well done. Wonderful movie. So that's what I've been watching. 
On to the individual questions, and you're up first, please, Matt. So I finished um, Will Smith's audio book, and he makes a very bold claim that at one point in his career, um, well, it's not a claim, I suppose. You could look at the numbers. He was the most successful man in Hollywood um, with a huge um, string of number one grossing worldwide films in a row. But what he said was the key to his success. He was the hardest working man in Hollywood. So he said that during that time, he would spend the most amount of time of any actor going to other countries, doing press tours before it became the done thing. He, he At one time, he, he asked um, the people in the know, in the business, who is the hardest working man in film? And the answer was Tom Cruise who apparently put an incredible amount of time into his press work to so go to other countries appear on their equivalent of graham norton and go on their local news or or, or go see the bloody i don't know arc de triomphe in paris or something like that um and that would then boost sales in that individual territory and will smith said if tom cruise is doing it for five hours i'm going to do every place for six hours and that's how i'm going to be the best in the world and that was his mantra so I want to know from you guys, um, who do you think is the hardest working woman in film and why? Stu? And the, the first person that came to my mind was Julie Dench. Mm-hmm. Um, just because she seems to be everywhere all the time. <laughs> now, even if she's just promoting something, um, she's just there just talking about just general things. And maybe it is the Graham Norton effect and all the friends and doing the circuit twice a year for different reasons. But when I actually looked into it, she had, hasn't actually done that many films, like obviously in the last 20 years because of her age. Um, so then my, my second thought was Margot Robbie and 20 films since Wolf of Wall Street. Jesus wept. I mean, that's mm-hmm. been what, six, seven years, something like that, is it? 2013. Okay, so nine years. Wow, still a hell of a hit rate. Yeah, two or three films a year. I mean, half of these, I just just looked at it and half of them I've never even heard of. Zed for Zachariah. How's that? Um, Australian Psycho, Legend of Tarzan, things like that. So there's bits of I, Tonya, (laughs) Goodbye, Christopher Robin. Different films of different genres all over the place. And yet, she seems normal. <laughs> she does it like someone who doesn't seem up, the, up her own arse. And when you hear interviews, she's always having a good time. And the same thing, she always seems to do the, the press tour and put herself out there. Mm. So, mm. Yeah, good on her. And how about yourself? Sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say to Margot Robbie, like, whenever a woman is quote unquote difficult, you hear about it. Mm. Like, Hollywood loves to make a woman look like an arsehole when it can. And I don't think I've ever heard a bad word about Margot Robbie. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I've got three. I've got one who's an actor, one who's a producer, and one who's a bit of both. Um, I'll, I'll start with the one who's a bit of both, and that's Reese Witherspoon. She was working, obviously, in Hollywood, doing quite a lot of work in the early 2000s, and then the work dried up. And she went to her agent and just basically said, I, I want this kind of role, I want that kind of role. And the response was, they don't make films for women of your age in those type of roles. So she went out and started her own production company and made those kind of films for people of that age to make mm-hmm. it. So like her film actual on-screen career is still going along. I mean, she's got 60-odd credits to her name. 
the last few years you've got stuff like little big lies little fires everywhere the morning show she's got legally blonde three coming out your place and mine tinkerbell the wishlist she's got quite a lot coming up and she's also managed to accrue like 30 odd um producing credits um starting since like 2014 with gone girl and she's just gone so she's she's doing fucking everything and that's incredible mm-hmm. uh, the one who's an actor is tilda swinton she's just mm-hmm. in everything whether it's serious depressing horror comedy whatever she's your go-to for we need a woman any woman will do but we'll get to <laughs> tilda swinton because she can do everything so I, I think she's fantastic big fan uh, but the one, the producer, is the one who probably has to put up with the most shit at the moment. And her career started way, way back with E.T., the extraterrestrial, where she was a producer. And that would be Kathleen Kennedy. Mm. She's like 68 years old, and she's helming Disney pretty much at the moment. Like anything Star Wars related, everything has to go through her. She has to put up with an absolute load of shit that gets thrown her away because entitled fans want this, they want that, they want everything. And yet she's still putting out great films. She's still putting everything together for this world that is all-encompassing, as well as then doing, like, she's got Emma's War coming up, Indiana Jones 5, Willow. So she's not just doing Disney, uh, just doing Star Wars, sorry. She's doing everything. Mm. And at, at the age she is, that is a hell of a work rate. Mm-hmm. It is. See, I answered the question in the in the spirit of the kind of the Will Smith stuff that I listened to, and I don't know why, but when I think of like the Graham Norton show and the press tour and everything that goes with it, seeing someone's face everywhere, I just see Emily Blunt, and I don't mm-hmm. know why, <laughs> but she's just that safe face that I think is just on these shows and like radio and everything, where she's just always got a presence in something, even if nothing that she does is particularly outstanding. I don't think really. Um, but when I think of people that are always in the eye of somewhere, like that just doesn't go away. I think of Emily Blunt for some bizarre reason. I think it helps as well being married to John Krasinski mm. because he's the same sort of thing. Like you see him everywhere. So you see him everywhere. You see her everywhere. And when you see the one, you see the other. And it's, I think they definitely help each other, but I love Emily Blunt. I think she's fantastic. She's like, for a very Wolves-related um, analogy, she's the Kevin Foley of <laughs> a film. Like, she's a solid 7 out of 10 in absolutely everything. Yeah. But so about Graham Norton, it's, and, and for his, his weekly mention on here, Jamie Dornan seems, seems to be on there all the time. <laughs> he does, Jerry. He's sort of... Um, he's hit that trail now, hasn't he? I hark for the days where... Um... Remember when Graham Norton was like a weekly thing on a Friday night and he was dead raunchy. It was around like Euro trash and everything else. So like it was proper like close to the wire. Mm. But, but he was on safe. Channel 4, wasn't he? Yeah, it was on yeah. Channel 4, yeah. But it was, it was, great, it was, it was fantastic. So, it was so Graham Norton. So Graham it? Norton, yeah. 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 And then yeah. back when Big Brother was good. It was so, and then he went, it, it did it, it did it nightly for a while. Didn't it? it never yeah, really yeah. worked. Mm. Well, they try to do that thing because we've never had that nightly talk show that the Americans have had. We've tried a few times, but nothing's ever quite come off to that that level. So, Jack Doherty on uh, Channel Five. Is I don't f- know what that is. 
It was the first program ever broadcast on Channel Five. The uh, Spice Girls as the guest. I don't remember that. I'm not that old. Nineteen ninety-seven. Jeez, I don't remember it to be honest. Um, next up is your question, please, Joe. And not Jack Doherty related. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's almost like related to hardest working, really, because of his age, but. Is Ridley, St- Ridley Scott good or bad? Back right at you, Andy. Um, I, I think he's. I think he's a really good director. I've been looking at his filmography um, in preparation for this, and, and not just his, his uh, directorial filmography. His producer. Um, he's done got like one hundred and fifty credits as a producer. It's like the dude works, and on top of that, he's got fifty-seven film credits. But when you look at the films that he's done, I don't think any of them would fall below a 7 out of 10. They're all, like, at least watchable, like, enjoyable. Alien, for a start. Legend, Thelma and Louise. G.I. Jane, Gladiator, Hannibal. I mean, obviously, Matchstick Men, which we watched, which was very middling. (laughs) Robin Hood was a bit of a, a miss. But then he's come back with Alien Covenant, which I know has been... Controversial. The Martian was excellent. The Last Duel, I know some people loved and some people hated. House of Gucci. Like, I think he's a very good mainstream director. And whilst he probably won't be on many people's favourite lists, I, I do think he's a very reliable body. He's not like a Scorsese who does stuff that's probably a little bit more highbrow. But if you need something to get the masses in, I, I think you can't go far wrong with a Ridley Scott. Hmm. I'd agree. I'd agree with you exactly there. However, however, the court of public opinion, I, I don't think is as kind anymore because he, I mentioned on a an episode way back, way back when we were talking about Spielberg and talking about his deal with Netflix and whether that was going to be a success, Netflix or Prime, I can't remember which one it was. And um, actually, is there a, is there room to breathe now for Spielberg? And the same, the same, is the same for Ridley Scott now. And when he makes certain comments about why people don't see his films now, like they did with The Last Jewel, mm. it makes it very much okay, Steve Bruce, it's time to let <laughs> it's time to let Graham Potter step in now. Do you know what I mean? Like it's mm. don't alienate what is no longer your crowd anymore. You you know, you need to continue to adapt and revolutionize and things like that and i think you know the court of public opinion might start to feel he's not quite you know hitting the heights that he was and then if he's going to moan about it even less you know he'll enjoy even less um you know public happiness there was a certain element of old man shaped at cloud with the uh the, yeah. the last duel wasn't there i think exactly so mm. it's one of them Stu, what, what are your thoughts well, that's where it came from because of his silly comments about that, that people are more interested in their phones rather than watching his films. And that was a boring film. So, But House of Gucci, I know it's very divisive and you, you both talked about it in the past. I've, I've missed it completely. And I saw it. it was, it's available to me uh, now. So I'll get on that over the weekend. But at the same time, Raised by Wolves from a couple of years ago, I thought it was a wonderful series. And I've never talked about it on it, I don't think. It's um, it's one of them weird in-between ones. I think it's about 15 episodes-ish. 
Mm. Um, Androids looking after kids um, on a weird planet. It's very out there. Um, but it worked. I, I really enjoyed it. And I think, has it been commissioned for another one? Oh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it has been. Um, I remember being advertised. It looked very Westworldy. Yeah, yeah, that's mm. that's the closest I can kind of say without spoilers. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's very it, the same kind of vibe, same kind of uh, atmosphere to it. Okay, but it's yeah, sixteen episodes. So there you go. Um, so a, a weird amount, really. It's, it's been going like ten, twelve recently, eight rather than twenties, and this is smack mm. bang in the middle. Yeah, it's. <laughs> If you like Westworld, you'll you'll like that. Okay, cool. Yeah, but for me, he's again, like you said, he's very. When he's good, he's very very good. But when he's bad, he's only average. He, he ain't got any bombs in there. Not for me, anyway. Mm, I mean, we obviously say we watched Matchstick Men, and I've seen Robin Hood, which are two of his more lower rated films, but they're. A decent way to pass a ninety-minute, two-hour kind of threshold. They're not terrible. They are watchable at the very least, which isn't something I can say for other directors. He's mm. he's at worst all right, which <laughs> yeah. I think is like a decent thing to be able to do. So the anti-U bowl. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, completely. <laughs> uh, so my question: In Hollywood, everyone wants the everyman. So I want to know who is the best Tom, who is the best Dick, and who is the best Harry. You can interpret that question however you want. But I want to know the best Tom, Dick, and Harry. Matt. Well, I interpreted this question completely differently. Okay. Completely differently. <laughs> because my because because you put on the tweet when you were when we were like we discussed like you just put uh, the I think I can't remember what the exact phrase was the best Tom, Dick, and Harry. Interpret that. As you will. Yeah. So I basically said to my, I put uh, in my notes, I'm going to rate three different films. Which one is the best? That's those fine. Three, those three films are Fun with Dick and Jane, um, Tomorrow, Tom Morrow Never Dies, and Harry and the Hendersons. And the answer <laughs> is the answer is Harry and the Hendersons uh, of those three, without question, is the best Harry from Tom, Dick, and Harry, for the obvious reasons that Harry and the Hendersons is a wonderful film. That on you can watch on any Sunday, hangover or not, um, and you'll have a great time. <laughs> that, that's excellent. I, I, to be honest, I was going to do that, try and find films with the names in, or I was going to try and find a different slant on it. So that's perfectly acceptable. That's that's what I wanted, something different. But yeah, Tomorrow World as well is a hell of a choice. That film does not get the recognition it deserves. Brilliant movie. I went the same way. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, I had... I thought, well, does he mean actors' names like that? Which obviously Tom Hanks would win hands down because who do you go for Dick and who do you go for Harry? Other than Harry Styles, I mean, that's not going to happen. So I thought, well, it's Tom Hanks for that, but then film wise, it's Harry Brown because why not? Oh shit! Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good movie. I only wonder how devious you were being with this one. No, it wasn't devious. It was literally, you just pick whatever you want <laughs> that just fits that very loose frame. So I wanted to, I was, it was more to see how your brain interpreted it rather than what the actual question was. It's very Friday afternoon supply teacher. That's what it is. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. 
I'd gone with three actors that sort of fit the names. Um, like for like when you say Tom, Dick, and Harry, that does mean an everyman, really. Mm-hmm. And Tom yeah. Hanks is the perfect everyman. But my favourite Tom as an actor would be Tom Hardy. There's just something about that dude. I will watch him in absolutely anything. I mean, literally just a film about him driving a car because he's cheated on his wife and that person's now pregnant about to give birth. Fuck it, I'm there because that was enthralling television or enthralling filmmaking. Brilliant. Uh, my dick is actually a Richard. Cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a Richard, but it's Rick Moranis. I'm sure mm. there are better ones like Richard Gere and the likes. But Rick Moranis has made a hell of a few, uh, a number of films from my childhood that I still love today. Little Shop of Horrors, Spaceballs, the two Ghostbusters movies, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Like I, I just love Rick Moranis. There's something about him that I just, I find him a very encapsulating actor. It might be because he's a little bit weird and he doesn't look like your Hollywood leading man that makes mm. him just a bit more interesting than your average. And I was also a huge fan of Gravedale High, which I bet Matt probably... It was actually 1990, Matt. Were you even born at that point? I was born. <laughs> However, so, I wouldn't have... Potentially not have actually been one years old yet. No. Um, but yeah, I love Gravedale High, so so that's why I was a big fan of uh, Moranis. And obviously Harry. It's got to be Harrison Ford. Like the most handsome man that Hollywood has ever produced. And he has done some absolute belting films from way, way back up until right now. He's still putting out good movies. Oh, I think he's excellent. He's a, And again, he's something of an everyman that you can envision in absolutely any role from a scoundrel um, who is trying to smuggle stuff through space to the president of the United States to an archaeologist or a fugitive. He's someone you can put into absolutely any role and you would believe him. Like, I don't think there are many actors who have had the career that Harrison Ford has had. Probably the but, best pout in Hollywood as well. Yeah, Got a definitely. hell of a pout. Yeah. So about Harrison Ford, we had a chance to talk about it, I know, yeah, but the um, when I watch it over Christmas, the um, Star Wars holiday special, <laughs> and the whole thing, they keep doing, they take it down every year, they, Disney now, and they hunt to, to delete it from all history. Um, and people just upload it over and over again. So they must, well just, they must have the originals. Uh, they must be there somewhere. They've got to, yeah. So just just do it. Just put it out. Just do it properly. It's what we all want. And <laughs> to to go down the the, uh, the YouTube rabbit hole of looking at interviews of him being asked about it and how he now embraces how shit it was and how he, <laughs> having a laugh with him. I mean, other people could be really offended about how bad. I mean, that was considering that was what, the second ever Star Wars piece of anything. Mm-hmm. After New Hope, he could have just tanked the whole project, and he would have had. He wouldn't have had a career. Yeah. The, the weird thing is with Disney, like constantly wanting that taken down, they're sort of leaning into it because they've done, or they've got the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special coming up, which is very apparently very much influenced by the Star Wars Holiday Special. So, like, they want their cake and eat it too mm-hmm. with that, which I, I do find a little bit weird. Just to see the Wookiees doing the washing up again. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's the granddad watching the porn, basically. <laughs> it's the fucking weirdest thing I've ever seen. But it, it's, it's got to be seen. It is that weird. Excellent. Right, I have got a little bit of a quiz for you two. Um, Whoa. 
If it's awful, I'm going to cut it. But if it's not, I'll leave it in. It is a Amazon one-star review. But what is the film? So basically, these films have got a one-star review. But I need you to tell me what film the one-star review is from. I've got three for each of you. Okay. And I've got no tiebreaker, so it'll just be a draw if it's a draw. Okay. Matt. 2019 Los Angeles does not have flying cars, cloned people, nor off-world colonies. Run that by me again. (laughs) 2019 Los Angeles does not have flying cars, cloned people, nor off-world colonies. I don't know. I haven't got a clue. Stu, can, can you steal the point? Well, 2019, so you you got to be thinking like 40 years before that, probably. Flying cars... Clum- I mean, is it Blade Runner? It's Blade Runner. Yeah! Oh, <laughs> good. I never thought of it like that. I never thought it would be an older film. What, 2019? Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. Stu... I don't mean to give any spoilers away, but there are no magicians in this movie. Don't let the title fool you. Um, he can't just be a magician, can he? That's, that's silly. Um, oh, is it the one? I'll just go magician then. Is it? It's the one the um, Nolan film that I always the Prestige. It's not. It's not the Prestige, Matt. Oh, I was going to go with The Prestige. Um, Don't be fooled by the title. There are no magicians. Oh, no, because I'm going to say The Magnificent. No, no, pass. It is Magic Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, I like it. Uh, Matt, too many cats, one star. Cats. It's cats. (laughs) (laughs) Stu, (laughs) Stu, not enough pets. One star. <laughs> Secret Life of Pets? It's not. Matt, Matt to steal? Too many pets. Not enough pets. Oh, not enough pets. Uh, cat, cats versus dogs? No, it's Pet Cemetery. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Matt, uh, at this point, we must assume Willie either loves captivity or he's an attention-seeking whore. It's got to be Free Willy, surely. <laughs> yeah, that is. It's uh, it's actually Free Willy 4, Escape from Pirate's Cove. Okay. As if they made four of those films. Incredible. But I'll give you the point for that one. Uh, Stu, I'm beginning to think he's just a bad parent. I know it. <laughs> this could be Home Alone. This could be Parent Trap. This could be um, oh, one of the Fockers films. Um... I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say it's not going to be Home Alone 3, is it? It's not going to be, but... It's not. Matt, you've taken. already won, but it, it, it's taken oh. three. <laughs> <laughs> I've never I seen Taken that. 3. I don't think I've seen the third one. Taken aback. What should it be called? I've seen there was another one he did around the same time that was basically Taken, but it wasn't. On a plane? I can't even remember. It was fucking dreadful. I don't buy Liam Neeson as an action star at all. He's too like, old. He is. I think Star Wars gave him visions of grandeur, to be honest. <laughs> that is not the kind of actor he's ever been. <laughs> Lovely. I'm gonna, I think I'll leave that in because I quite enjoyed that. 
Right, so that's us done for this week. Next up, we are going to be reviewing Honeymoon in Vegas, which is James Caan, Sarah Jessica Parker, and of course, Nicolas Cage. Uh, make sure to check out justwatch.com to see where it is streaming near you. I watched it last night. I think you'll both enjoy it, to be honest, if you haven't seen it yet. It was all right, but we'll, we'll get into the minutiae next week. Uh, make sure you've got us on the Twitter and Instagram at CageFightingPod. Emails to CageFightingPod at gmail.com. Please make sure you've subscribed, and if you can rate and review, we would truly appreciate it. Uh, for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, everybody. Stay safe out there in the big bad world. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? So long, farewell. I'll feel you saying goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. <laughs>